Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This week on The Mike Wise Show, 30 teams are preparing for the July 29th NBA Draft, and we are thrilled to welcome a man who knows more about the intricacies of the draft than anyone. He's standing by. But first, let me speak for Mike Wise by saying, Darlene, do your thing. The Mike Wise Show is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. The Mike Wise Show is hosted by a guy who played basketball atrociously for Hawaii Pacific College, which forced him into journalism. And, oh yeah, he wrote about basketball for the New York Times, the Washington Post, and ESPN. He's also a wise-ass, and so are many of his guests. Right, Mike? Thanks, Darlene. Mike is taking the week off to prepare for a very special Mike Wise show that we'll tell you more about in the coming days. I'm Bruce Bernstein, Mike's producer and frequent co-host. As the basketball world prepares for the July 29th NBA draft, our guest, Bobby Marks of ESPN, is about to make you a smarter fan. Bobby spent 20 years working in the NBA, including five as the Brooklyn Nets assistant general manager. He left the Nets in 2015 to work in the media and has become ESPN's front office insider and one of the foremost experts on front office strategy, the salary cap, player evaluation, and all the little mind games that teams play with each other. Bobby, welcome to the Mike Wise Show. Uh, thank you, Bruce. How are you? Doing good. Uh, it stopped raining for a day here in Connecticut, so I'm really <laughs> happy about that. <laughs> and you're inside doing a podcast with me, right? <laughs> and you know what? There's nowhere I'd rather be, Bobby, I promise you, for, for sure. Just to let everybody know, we're recording the show 10 days before the draft, so we understand things can change as the 29th approaches, but many of the topics we're going to cover today won't necessarily be predictions, but we'll try and give everybody a little insight on what their team, your team, uh, is going to be thinking as they evaluate their options. So let's start at the top, Bobby. Barring any trades, Detroit's going to be picking first overall. So do the teams at the top of the draft, like Detroit, Houston, and Cleveland, do they usually go for the best available, or do they look to fill a specific need? Yeah, this is different than the NFL, right? This is if there is a quarterback who may be the number one pick, and you already have um, Tom Brady as your quarterback, the likelihood is that you're probably going to take a lineman right? Like that's just the nature or a defensive player. We're here because it's condensed and it's only two rounds and the makeup of teams are usually built through free agency and trades, um, best available rules. Now that differs a little bit, maybe if you're have multiple picks in the teens, or if you have another pick in the twenties where you're kind of going by um, a position of need, but if Cade Cunningham is the best available that Detroit feels, they are taking Cade Cunningham. I always say, Bruce, that when you're 20 and 52 or 19 and 53, there's a reason why you're there, right? So there's a reason why you need, uh, you cannot be picky as far as um, how you're going to um, go about the process. And um, I always say the draft is one of my favorites 
of the year, just because of it's kind of you take a lot of uh, besides the ability to select a player that can impact your team, but from a trade standpoint, um, a lot of different nuances that kind of come, uh, you know, go with it. But it, and it's the, technically the start of the uh, of the off season here. But yeah, it's always at least in the top fifteen uh, best available here and kind of a little bit of a background on how teams do it is that you'll have a big board, right? You take your top 60 or your top 70 and you rank your board. Um, for us in New Jersey, it started about a week before the draft. Uh, we take everything into consideration, whether it's on the court, off the court, how they interviewed background, medical, psychological, all different things. And, um, we usually rank it on um, skill level, basketball-wise, and then kind of a couple of days before we start moving things around as far as maybe maybe a guy's got a knee issue or maybe there was a red flag psychological, and then we kind of we massage the, the board. And the goal is that when you go into the night of the draft, that's that's how you're picking, right? Like you don't want to, yeah, you don't want to. If you're picking at number nine, all of a sudden your head coach say, "What about guy? That guy who's at 26, right?" Like you want to stick to your board as far as who that player is going to be, and I, and that also helps Bruce from a trade standpoint, right? If you're, for example, if you're New York, who's got 19 and 21, well, what happens when we get to pick 13 and that guy? They had a guy who's maybe ranked eighth, right? How do we get up to that, you know, as far as packaging both picks to, to move up there? So um, it's a fun night. It's a fun process here. Uh, I always call it, it's kind of like working on Wall Street, right? It's kind of, you're kind of trading, um, you know, in, in the middle or at night. And, um, but going back, yeah, it's always, it's when you're picking that high, it's always on, um, on the best available, not need. I agree with you that the NBA draft is one of the most fun nights of the year. Back in my ESPN days, I used to work on the draft and my job was to work with the commissioner. So I'd be on the headset to the truck and I'd have either David Stern or Adam Silver over here. And to me, it, it was just, it was the night where you saw people's dreams come true in real time. You saw them at their tables out there in the green room area. And I just, of, of everything I always did, that was the one night on the calendar that I, that I always circled as just like the most special night of the year. And I did 15 of them and enjoyed every single one, even when David was yelling at me sometimes. <laughs> it did happen on occasion. Yeah, it's, and it's, it's interesting, you know, going from a team standpoint to now the media side, it's, it's the ability to try to, you know, there's so many trades going on. It's so much different than the NFL, where the NFL draft is more of trading picks, right? You're trading... If you've got the number three pick and you, you're moving back to seven and you're getting two future ones in, in the deal where, as you know, in the NBA draft, there are players involved. Usually um, there's usually a delay to that because of the trade call that the teams have to go under. So um, player X might have an Atlanta Hawk hat, hat on at eight o'clock and by um, 10 p.m. he might be wearing a, a Philadelphia 76. I mean, a good example is Mikhail Bridges who's playing in these finals was, you know, drafted by the 76ers and then traded to the Suns um, about an hour later. So, um, you know, there is a little bit of a confusion part of it, but yeah, there's a lot of action that kind of goes into the night of the draft. So the mindset of teams like say Houston, OKC and Orlando, those are lottery teams that are clearly in a rebuilding mode. 
But then you have a team like Golden State who's going to be yeah. picking at seven and 14, but they have much more ambitious expectations for the upcoming season. So is, is Golden State maybe not quite as married to that best available? Are they looking more for a, a position or is it pretty much does that same you know, philosophy apply to them? They're looking for a player to come in and play now and help them win now. Um, we know the timeline of Curry, Thompson, Draymond Green is a, um, a roster that's you know, not trying to be a playing team. It's not a roster that's going to take its time developing players. It's trying to see what the 7 and 14 get you. The 7 and 14 get you Bradley Beal. The 7 and 14 get you Ben Simmons. Who out there, as far as a high-level impact player, um, does a team have a, uh, an appeal for standpoint? So, yeah, they're, they're much different than, um, you know, the teams in front of them. Maybe Toronto's a little bit more trending towards um, Golden State just because of um, their nucleus is a little more solid with Van Vliet and uh, Siakam and OG. Um, they're, you know, one maybe roster tweak, they could be back into that top five here. But yeah, I mean, Golden State's philosophy is as far as what is 7-14, what is James Wiseman and player they picked at number two, what does that get that get you? Because if you stay at Pat at 7-14, and 14, the likelihood is that neither one of those players are going to make a huge impact for them this upcoming season. And then you look at their finances, right? They're over the luxury tax. Um, they're basically building out their roster, their bench with minimum contracts, tax mid-level exception, guys like that. So you're trying to, um, you're trying to see what those two, those picks can actually get you there. So a few moments ago, you mentioned Cade Cunningham of Oklahoma yeah. State. He appears destined to be the number one overall pick. I've seen no draft projections where he wasn't. So tell us a little bit about Cade Cunningham's game and his makeup as a player. Why is he the guy this year? Yeah, it's funny. We've, uh, we've labeled this draft as a four-player draft in the beginning, right? When you look at Cade Cunningham, uh, uh, Evan Mobley, Jalen Green, uh, Jalen Suggs, right? As our Mike Schmidt at ESPN always says, the draft starts at number five here. And I think when you look at Cunningham as far as um, his body of work, 6'8", a big wing. Um, he's being compared a lot to Chris Middleton, as we've seen a heavy dose of in these finals, as far as the ability to kind of close games. Um, Cunningham has kind of that it factor. We saw it at Oklahoma State, at Oklahoma State, close games, wants the ball in his hands, probably better off with another point guard um, as far as, as a, from a, a facilitator um, standpoint. But um, yeah, I mean, shot 40% from three this year, which is a, a high number. He's got length, the ability to defend, probably not as an elite defender as maybe um, as a Jalen Suggs or a Davion Mitchell from, uh, from Baylor here. But um, I think there is a little bit of separation. And that's the one thing that Detroit's doing. They're, they're looking at what is the separation from a guy like Katie Cunningham to a guy like Evan Mobley or a guy like Jalen Green or Jalen Suggs, where... What happens if we get a call from, let's say, um, Toronto, and they're offering uh, the, the fourth pick in the draft for the number one pick and then some maybe some future first? Well, how much of a drop-off is there from Cade Cunningham to Jalen Suggs here? And that's the part when I always say, don't get cute with the draft, right? 
if you think you have a guy who is, has the potential to become a, you know, a franchise level player, like, um, you know, Cunningham potentially does, then you stay pat. And even if it means kind of um, getting a future uh, first down the road. So Jalen Suggs, as you mentioned, I mean, he was, you know, pretty much a, a freshman stud for Gonzaga. Um, is there any player that he reminds you of? I mean, he seems like uber talented in so yeah. many ways and, and kind of unlike a lot of the guys that Gonzaga has had. Who Any any echoes of greats that you see in the sky? Yeah, I mean, usually, um, you know, comps, um, you don't want to kind of get carried away, but the guy we're to, that I've heard about and the guy that I've watched and I actually guy that I had in New Jersey is Jason Kidd. A lot of Jalen Suggs, you know, similarities as far as what Jason is, as far as great passer, high level passer, um, the ability to defend, still a little bit of a work in progress from his shot, a leader, got good size at 6'4", uh, 200 plus pounds, um, has played in big games before, as, as you saw this year, as far as at Gonzaga, taking that team to a to an NCAA championship here. But yeah, I mean, the kid comparisons are uh, are kind of what's being li linked to, um, to to Suggs. All right, so now it's time for you to take us behind the curtain a little bit now, and and I'd really like to hear your thoughts on some of the cat and mouse games that teams yeah. play with each other as they maneuver to get the guy they really want, as opposed to the guy that a lot of people think they may want. I mean, I have echoes of Jason Tatum and uh, and mm -hmm. uh, Philadelphia a few years yeah. ago with uh, with the fellow who's now in Orlando. Who's Mark named Fultz. Yeah, Mark Fultz. Fultz. Yeah. So what are some of these cat and mouse games? Can you give us any good stories like that? Yeah, I mean, it's, um, I don't want to say teams lie. <laughs> that's a stretch <laughs> but i would say there's a little bit of um probably some smoke screens that teams are putting out there as far as guys that they have interested in i think um you know we're hearing a lot about um you know scotty barnes from florida state right can he kind of break into that top four there i don't think so um but there are there are teams putting that out there um there are teams as far as if you are at uh detroit you're putting it out there that you're not married to Kate Cunningham, right? So now comes into place. What happens if Oklahoma City is married to Kate Cunningham? They've got all these draft picks here. And, and basically what you're trying to do is getting a little bit of a bidding war as far as maybe to drive up the, uh, the cost of your um, cost of your pick. I always found it funny, Bruce, where um, people outside the media got excited or even in, in the media got excited when, um, they found out what teams are, what players teams are interviewing, right? And when we had a philosophy in New, in New Jersey and Brooklyn, where we would, we would interview players at the combine where we knew we had no chance getting to come to visit. If we had the 24th pick, we're going to interview guys in top eight. We're going to interview guys in the top six here. And that kind of puts out a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a smoke screen as far as maybe we have a chance to jump, jump into the, into the top 10, but it's similar to kind of what we see around the trade deadline where you see a lot of names being floated um, around as far as um, just trying, as I said, trying to you know, drum up the price of uh, a draft pick that the likelihood is that you are going to keep, but you never know. You might come with an, an offer might come in that might be just too good to, to pass. Like, you know, Boston flipped one for three and got Tatum at three, who could have probably been the number one pick and then wind up getting a, a future first in uh, um, from Sacramento um, that wind up being, I think, the 14th pick in the draft. 
So as you pointed out to me when we were kind of discussing, you know, doing this show, there are three teams, the Thunder, the Knicks, and the Rockets that control six of the nine picks yeah. between 16 and 24. Now, two of those teams are clearly in the rebuild mode, but the Knicks with Tom Thibodeau as the coach, they're not in the win now. They're, they're more in the win now mode as opposed yeah. to the rebuild mode. So any thoughts on how those teams might be approaching things? Are the Knicks more likely to try and make a trade and package their things as opposed to the other teams that just need to bring in talent? Yeah, I think for New York, it's more of um, can we turn quantity into quality, right? Uh, I do think this is a good draft. I think it's a deep draft. I think it's a guard heavy draft here. And we'll, I'm sort of, we'll probably talk about some more names here. So what is 1921? I think they also have 32, um, an early second round pick. Does that get you to 13? Does that get you to 12? Um, you also have all your own first. You have a... Um, you know, you have the Dallas first in 2023, I believe that's top 10 protected. So that's the philosophy as far as how do you move up into the lottery and does 19 and 21 get you more of an established player that maybe you can put on the court now compared to probably a developmental project? Um, because I think the timeline for New York this year kind of sped up a little bit based on how Julius Randle played, how RJ Barrett developed you now are sitting on potentially $50 million cap space again um, to, you know, how do we get from being the fourth seed to maybe jump into that top three? So, yeah, I think for New York is probably a little bit different than maybe where Houston is. Oklahoma City's at 16 and 18. Um, you know, that's kind of a little bit of a sweet spot as far as you could probably get two good players and they're kind of in a little bit of a different stage as far as uh, development. But um, but that goes back to two as, you, as we, we started as far as, you know, best available or need that comes a little bit. Now we're getting need, right? So if you're at 16 and you pick a point guard, the likelihood is you're not, you're not going to pick a point guard at 18. So then that goes into that philosophy of ours. All right. What is the separation on our board between someone at 17, somebody at 19, somebody at 20? Um, do we trade out out of the, out of the first round and maybe pick up a future draft pick down to, um, down the road here um, that we've seen in the past so many different trades as far as, you know, maybe if you had 21, you move back to 23 and you pick up something uh, in, in the future here. So, yeah, I think New York is going to be aggressive as far as trying to see what those two picks can get you as far as maybe moving up in the draft. Seems that their biggest need, you know, I mean, they got a lot of great minutes out of Derek Rose last year, but, you know, Derek is closer to the end than the beginning at this point. Do they have any chance of getting a quality point guard in that, you know, area of the draft, or are they going to have to trade to, to get the kind of guy they really need there? Yeah. I think the guys like um, we've talked about, uh, you know, Davian Mitchell from, um, from Baylor. Baylor. it's a, it's a guard heavy draft, but when you look at it from some of the guys and, you know, Mitchell is probably a tier two guy in that five to 10 range. Right. Um, you know, Jared Butler, uh, from Baylor, uh, who just, who has just been medically cleared is another one of those guards. I don't think he's there at, um, at 19 or 21. So there is a drop off as far as getting a guy that maybe can play 25 to 30 minutes compared to maybe a guy that is going to be maybe spending some time in Westchester on your G league team, or maybe kind of and in a more um, in a more developmental standpoint, because yeah, that is a position of need. Fortunately for New York, this is a um, free agent class that is guard heavy, right? Like this is if you're gonna if you want to go get get a free agent guard, 
whether it be Kyle Lowry or Spencer Dinwiddie or Dennis Schroeder, likelihood Chris Paul stays in Phoenix, Mike Conley in Utah, um, Lonzo Ball, another name. Like you might be able to do that in free agency if you don't, if you're not able to move up in a draft and, and get one of these guys with one of those picks. You know, Butler is a really interesting story to me. You mentioned he was medically cleared. He was the most yeah. outstanding player in the Final Four, national champion as a junior. He's cleared, as you said. He's 6'3". He's a scorer, but he's not really considered a, a great defender, and he maybe has slipped out of the lottery, although maybe not. So this is kind of a theoretical question. Yeah. Would a team ever look at a guy like Butler and say, you know, I think this guy might be an ideal sixth man and use a first round draft pick to draft him with that specific role in mind. I'm kind of looking at Atlanta at number 20, maybe as a backup for Trey Young, who, you know, had some injuries at the end of the year. Do teams ever draft guys in the first round thinking he isn't necessarily going to be a starter, but he could be a really dynamic sixth man? There is nothing wrong with hitting singles and doubles in the draft nothing wrong at all and I think um, Memphis has shown a knack for doing that the Grizzlies have when you look at guys like Brandon Clark um, Dylan Brooks guys that maybe weren't you know you know we probably not projected as starters but guys that can come in and, and fill a role so if you're Atlanta and you're at um, I think they're at 20 um, yeah. you and you need a you know that is a position of need right could be a position of need could be position of uh, as far as uh, best available also you can check both boxes off there that is a philosophy that that you are that you are thinking as far as we don't have cap space our focus is going to be on John Collins we're not going to be able to get one of these elite level guards um, you know or even a even a TJ McConnell type guy to maybe back up Trey Young so how do we address that and that might be right through the draft you have worked with a lot of prospects over the years, uh, prepping them for their interviews with various teams. So what are some of the things as, as an executive in a front office, you know what you want to hear out of guys. So what do you tell these guys when, you know, and, and how do they tailor their message depending on if they're going to talk to a team that's, that's, you know, a winning team already, maybe was in the playoffs versus a team that they're probably going to be able to play more minutes for as a rookie. What are some of the buzzwords or some of the things that you want those guys to get out there about themselves when they're talking to teams? Yeah, you're right. I mean, one of the most enjoyable parts uh, of this process is getting to help prospects prepare for their interviews with teams. Um, my first client was Jason Tatum and Jonathan Isaac. Um, what was that? 2017, I guess that year. And now I've worked with over 200 since. And the one thing I always say is to be honest, right? Like that is the biggest thing about the process is that A, it's an open book about your life, right? Chapter could be how, however many chapters of your life. There could be some guys might have eight chapters. Some might have 25 chapters. It's an open book about teams wanting to know about your life. Every team that you will interview will already have done their background on you, okay? It's a confirmation as far as what they know. So if you say to me, if you were, you know, uh, you came off the bench uh, against Texas and I said to you, why'd you come off the bench against Texas? And you said, well, you know what? I was, um, the coach just wanted to kind of have a different look as far as playing against um, Texas Tech because they went small. And I said, well, I, I have it here that you got, you were late for practice twice that week and you came off the bench. And then I was like, well, 
yeah, like that's what I'm trying to help you with as far as um, just be honest. It might be uncomfortable. You ever smoke marijuana? Be honest, right? Um, just little things like that. The one thing I always say, Bruce, is that, and, and players have gotten a lot better with this, is the G League, right? The G League has become such a big component where um, 10 years ago, 12 years ago, G League used to be looked at as a punishment system, right? You're late for practice. You're late for the bus. You're late for playing. We're going to send you to Springfield, right? Get out of here. We're going to send you up to Springfield. Nowadays, it's like uh, we're going out west for three out of four, uh, three games on the West Coast trip. I don't know if I'm going to get you many minutes. We're not going to practice much. We're going to send you to Austin, right, to play on our G League team that the Spurs have to get your minutes up here. And that's the one thing I always ask. I said, if we pick you at 13, what's your thoughts about going to the G League? The response has usually been very good. There's been maybe a few players like, oh, G League, I'm better than that. I'm an NBA player. And I'm like, yeah, unless you're top five or four, you will spend at, at times some minutes at the G League. Van Vliet, Siaka, Monty Morris. I mean, we can go on and on as far as how many guys have had to kind of pay their dues a little bit here. But yeah, it's just, um, you know, just different questions. You know, I, I want to know about your family. I want to know about um, what's your proudest moment in your life. Um, I heard Dwayne Casey had a great um, question, um, the coach of the Pistons, and he asked, you know, do you make your bed in the morning? And they were like, wait, why? Like, well, it kind of dictates, you know, what kind of mood you're in. Are you disciplined? Are you structured? Um, so it's a fun process. It's part of the process. It's not the end all be all. all. Of course, what you can do on the court is probably like 75% of it. But as I said, the interviews, um, the medical, the psych, uh, I mean, we, back in New Jersey, we did, we interviewed Jimmy Butler when he was coming out of Marquette, still to this day, the best interview I've ever been part of, just because I, I didn't really know much about Jimmy's background, basically homeless, living, uh, living, um, sleeping, you know, uh, going uh, couch to couch, um, didn't have much structure from a home life, um, really, and he earned everything right? Like everything for him was earned. And I think that tells you a lot about, about that person. So you, you mentioned the G League, which really kind of leads me right into my next question, which is basically this draft is going to have two likely very high picks, Jalen Green and Jonathan Kaminga from the yeah. G League Ignite team. Now they're the first two Ignite guys in the draft, as far as I know. Um, so how does the experience of playing pro under a coach like Brian Shaw affect their readiness to hit the ground running as rookies in the NBA? It's funny. There is two, the two hardest um, components of playing from a league standpoint is the G league. And when you go to the pre-draft camp and you basically get a team gets slapped together and you got to play five on five for two days of players you never played with before of the unknown. The G league is playing against men. No offense against um, Jalen Suggs or Evan Mobley, but you are playing against men who are trying to get one of the, one of the 450 spots available in the NBA, like guys who are probably on the tail end of their career. And what it's done is it's prepared them to play against NBA level competition. Um, teams were, teams were a little spoiled this year because they got to see uh, Green and, and Kaminga in the bubble, right? The G League had a bubble in Orlando basically what a month's worth. So you got to see them. You didn't have to travel to Northern California or you didn't have to go down to LA and see them work out against the Lakers G league team here. So 
you had a sense of these two players going against NBA level competition and how to, how do you kind of um, rate that? And I think, you know, you're going to see two players get drafted in the top eight, maybe two players drafted in the top five here. Um, and this is going to be a success. It's going to probably carry over to next year as far as the, uh, the crop that's going to be there. It's, um, there are certainly other leagues as far as that the overtime uh, league. That's another thing where it's more of like some sophomores and some juniors here. But yeah, I would say it's, it's been a success just because you, you get to see them play against, you get to see Jalen Green play against Jeremy Lin, right? Or Jalen Green play, you know, I know Jarrett Jack was on his team, but Jarrett, uh, Jalen Green compete against Jarrett Jack in practice, right? Guys who have been around the league for, you know, 14, 15 years. There are some intriguing seniors in the draft, but it seems that many teams <laughs> practice ageism when it comes to them. Now, you mentioned Davion Mitchell. He, his stock has gone up considerably, but then there's Corey Kispert. There's Luca Garza, Chris Duarte. Duarte's 24, but Mitchell, Kispert, and Garza are all 22. Now, Malcolm Brogdon was a 24-year-old rookie. He's increased his scoring and rebounding numbers in every one of his five seasons. So instead of limiting themselves to 20-year-olds, should teams have more respect for the seasoned guys who are maybe more physically mature but are still relatively young? I mean, you could probably put Draymond in there too, right? Draymond was a guy, you know, three or four-year guy at Michigan State here. I think it's it's funny, Bruce, when you when you say that. It's like, everybody's looking for the next Giannis, right? Everybody's looking for that next 18-year-old, probably not polished, but man, four years from now, all-NBA, all-star, the appeal level where maybe it's okay to pick a Malcolm Brogdon, come in and be maybe never an all-star, but a really good player. You know, certainly Draymond's been an all-star here. And there is a, there is a list, you know, you mentioned, you know, Kispert from, from Gonzaga safe right safe a safe pick trey murphy who played at um virginia was at rice before safe put him in the game and he can probably give you 20 to 25 minutes and give you 10 to 12 points will probably never be an all-star but i think when you're building a roster you have to kind of fill it by how that player fits as far as from a role standpoint here and yeah there there is that philosophy because you're going to see you know, the top four picks, the top 10 picks are all going to be under, all going to be guys who are 18 or 19 years old. I mean, there's a bunch of kids in here. Uh, Josh Primo from Alabama is not going to be 19, I think, until December, right? There's, um, you know, there are these young players um, that teams, what teams think is that you, you, you can get, you get them under your roof and then you're going to be able to mold them into your next, that, that next all-star guard. And, I always say that when you're picking these young players, what it does for a front office, it gives you length on your contract, right? Because you, you can constantly sell your owner. Well, it's just another, another year of development. Just another year of development here where you could say like, well, why is Malcolm Brogdon, you know, rookie of the year? And he was picked in a 34, or 33 here. And, you know, so, yeah, I um, hopefully we're starting to shift away a little bit. I don't think we are, but there's nothing wrong with taking the safe pick when you, uh, when you get to the draft. So I mentioned Luca Garza. He's interesting. He's a, a 6'11", old-school banger. He can score down low. He was player of the year in college for Iowa. So why don't teams value an inside 
force like Luca anymore? Are, are we all so analytics driven now that they care more about low percentage threes rather than points in the paint and easier mid-range twos like we're seeing from guys like Devin Booker and Chris Middleton? Yeah, I mean, I think we've, we've, we've trended away as far as um, from an anal- the kind of the mid-range game has gone gone to bed it's gone gone away but i think we've seen it in the playoffs where you know threes are not the end-all be-all right you do need a guy that can kind of give you buckets around the paint and give you certainly from him from a mid-range um mid-range standpoint and yeah i mean gars is a guy that you know we might be hearing his name in the 50s right we might be hearing his name in the 40s for a guy who is you know big big 10 player of the of, of the year All right, so I got one more question because you've been very generous with your time. A year from now, we're going to look back at a rookie who didn't get the big pre-draft hype, but ended up having a pretty impactful rookie season where we're going to ask each other, how did so many teams miss on this guy? Are there any candidates you can think of that are going to kind of be undervalued in the draft that you see as guys who are going to come right in and, and surprise a lot of people? I'm thinking of a guy like, Peyton Pritchard, but not, I mean, he wasn't really a huge story like that, but any guys that you're thinking of that might be in that category? I think a guy like Cam Thomas, who, who um, went to LSU freshman of year, led the SEC in scoring. Um, We're not hearing much buzz about him at all. Um, Teams are kind of listing him a little bit one dimensional, right? Guy who just kind of comes in and gets his shots. Um, We could be talking about him next year, you know, wherever he goes, if it's in the teens or early twenties, and be like, why wasn't that guy considered in the top 12, 13? And, you know, kind of, um, you know, um, he's a really interesting story. Um, raised by a single mom, mom was in the military, really disciplined structure in his life. Um, but you know, teams are looking at guys who are, you know, if you're not making shots, what keeps you on the court? That's kind of the concern with, with a guy like Thomas, but, um, I think he could be kind of that sleeper <clears throat> that nobody's really talking about, but we're, we're at the all-star break. You're like, wow, that guy's playing in the rising stars game. How'd that happen? Right. And he was picked 23rd by the Lakers or 22nd by the Lakers here. And we're thinking like, wow, they just got a good player. Bobby, uh, I'm incredibly grateful for you spending time with me uh, on the Mike Wise show this week. We're going to be following your work on ESPN, on ESPN radio, on ESPN.com, on SportsCenter. Uh, and the way you drop knowledge is so wonderful because you make it easy for even people who aren't draft mavens to understand. <laughs> so on behalf of the basketball fans of America, thank you so much for, for being with us and just for all you share with us to help make us smarter fans. I appreciate Thank you, Bruce. That was dope. It is time to wrap things up. Thank you so much to ESPN's Bobby Marks for sharing his vast knowledge about the NBA draft and the machinations of NBA front offices. Thanks also to our wonderful editor, Kristen Woolley, for her great work. Please check out all of our Pure Hoops media shows. Catch and Shoot 2.0 with Otto Strong and Aaron Berlin will have our good pal, Mark Kestisher, the voice of the NBA on ESPN Radio, with a look ahead to Game 6 and beyond of the NBA Finals, plus his impressions of this incredible season. Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with Monica McNutt and King McClure will be here with a new show on Thursday. Scheduled to appear is Vincent Goodwill of Yahoo Sports. BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman have the Pure Hoops podcast each Friday. And of course, we'll have a new Mike Wise show every Monday. 
And over the next few days, we hope to announce a very special series of shows with Mike, and we'll keep you posted as we get closer. If you'd like to hear some choice discussions from all of our shows, please subscribe to the Pure Hoops Media Quick Hitters. We also have many great video segments on our YouTube channel. Go to YouTube and search for Pure Hoops Media. All right, let's go. Time to stick the landing. Please get vaccinated. Please, please, please. If you choose not to, though, you're making a mistake that could come back to haunt you as well as your friends and family even. So if you're one of the misguided souls who haven't gotten the vaccination, keep wearing that mask in public so you don't get anyone else sick. And if you believe the news, COVID cases are rising all over the country, but especially in areas where fewer people are vaccinated. So why would you put yourself at risk? Be smart, get the shot, lose the mask, and people will see your smiling face. Keep your guard up. Until next time, for Mike Wise, I'm Bruce Bernstein. We'll see you next week. The Mike Wise Show used to be called The Wise Ass Show, but it remains a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.